Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline, live outdoors radio here for the next one hour on this August 13th, 2023. Uh, first Sunday of Game Fair this year. Uh, there'll be another big weekend uh, next weekend. Uh, Game Fair uh, just probably wrapped up here a little while ago. I believe the hours were open until 5. Our friend uh, Ron Husfett will join us. I'm Rob Jerisine, by the way. I uh, run a little newspaper called Outdoor News, and they let me talk outdoors here every week for an hour on Sunday night on WCCO. Uh, Ron Husfett's going to join me uh, in a little bit. We'll talk about how that first weekend of Game Fair went, maybe preview the next weekend. Uh, we are also going to talk with someone from the DNR, Joel Cyrus, Metro River Specialist with the uh, Fish and Wildlife Division. We're going to talk with Joel a little bit about uh, some plans the DNR has to revamp uh, the uh, the fishing regulations on the St. Croix, kind of upstream from the confluence of the uh, the Mississippi River. Uh, it's a border water, and it's uh, they want to make it a little more consistent, I think, with other border waters, which is probably a good idea. Uh, and we're going to talk with Joel about that a little bit. Uh, throughout the uh, show this week, uh, you're going to hear some bumper music by The Who. I never particularly liked The Who all that much. But uh, we lost a friend of mine, uh, Sean Parrish, recently. And he was an outdoors writer. He contributed to Outdoor News. He owned his, other, his own publication up on uh, the North Shore. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. He, Sean liked The Who. He and I used to argue about it. I was not a big fan of The Who. But in Sean's honor, I want to I want to play some Who bumper music here today. Jonathan Lowe, producer, is going to help us out with that. Jumping in now to talk with me about Sean Parrish, about this uh, big loss to the outdoors community, is my old friend and Sean's old friend Joe Dugan. Mister Dugan, are you with us? Uh, can you can you make me out? Are you there, my friend? Yes, I hear you loud and clear, Rob. Good. Well, thank you, Joe. A longtime officer over there at St. Paul-based Pheasants Forever. Uh, if you're into the state conservation scene, you recognize Joe's name. He retired here a few years ago, but he's still active, still doing some consulting and spending a lot of time up on uh, border country doing some fishing. Is that what you've been doing here the past week, Joe? Yeah, Rob, I'm I'm here on uh, Rainy Lake right now. Uh, we've got a cabin on the Canadian side and very much enjoy this area. Well, good. So we spend as much time as we can. And are they biting? Any luck? Yeah, we've been having pretty good luck fishing. Good. Good deal. Well, it's uh, it, it's hard not to have luck up there. Let's let's face it; it's pretty darn good fishing up on uh, on the border waters. But hey, as I alluded to before we got going here, Joe, uh, we lost a mutual friend, Sean Parrish. I believe August third was when uh, Sean passed away. He had uh, brain cancer. He was a fairly young guy, in my opinion. He was only sixty four. Still had a lot of good writing, a lot of good advocacy brewing in his gut. And it's just uh, tragic to uh, to lose Sean when we did. Uh, you worked with him quite a bit over the years, didn't you? Yeah, I yeah I was very saddened by it. Um, I got to know Sean uh, through the outdoor news when he was writing for you guys um, for many years, and well, we he called <clears throat> at various times when I was at Pheasants Forever. We talked over various issues and topics and concerns that, that he may want to be writing about or I had some input on, and, and that's how I, I first got to know him was uh, through his reporting. And then um, over the years, met him at you know various functions and outings and DNR roundtables and the like and uh, 
got to know him much better. I spent some time fishing with him one time up on, uh, well, we actually we, we went into the Boundary Waters. Um, we loaded uh, not too far from his home up at Hovland, and my wife Colleen and I went out fishing. He had a canoe, and I thought it was interesting. He threw it in the back of his truck, and he said, jump in, and off we went. It wasn't for a long outing, but he had, uh, which I'll never forget, was... Uh, like outriggers on his canoe so he could oar, paddle. Okay. And the three of us jumped in, and uh, off we went. We caught several <laughs> fish, and uh, my wife caught the most, which Sean reminded me of to that, well, <laughs> as long as I do them. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like something Sean would do, would uh, constantly remind you of that. Yeah, Sean lived way up at about as far up at the end of Highway 61 as you can get. Not quite as far as, as Grand Portage, but uh, but almost. I think a lot of people admired Sean because he really put his hunting and fishing lifestyle first. That that was the priority, and then his professional lifestyle was like that. That's that's what was also a priority for him. But by golly, that was gonna that was gonna follow the first priority, which was being in a place where he had access to wilderness, where he had access to great hunting and fishing. He loved Lake Superior. He was out there a lot. He had a boat. He did a lot of lake trout fishing. Uh, but he was uh, he was an absolutely unapologetic conservation advocate. Uh, and I think that really came through in his writing, and it was probably one reason that, that you bonded with him so well. Yeah, yeah. We had, well, I, uh, during my time at PF, had many, many conversations with him on Mostly related to conservation news, outdoor issues, uh, fish and wildlife concerns, both state and federal level. And and then after I retired, um, we continued the dialogue. We'd every once in a while he'd call me or I'd call him, and we'd talk about stuff. I wish I I, I do have. I guess when this when when someone passes that you like and is a friend, you you think about the experiences you shared and. And the regrets, and um, I do have one. He he offered me one time to take me fishing into Ontario up near Thunder Bay on some places that he fished, and we were all going to go. It's all set up, and something came up in on my side of the deal, and was unable to make it. And I to this day regret it because he he was very knowledgeable about fishing and the outdoors um, all up and down the coast of the Lake Superior, up into Canada as well. Yeah, the North Shore, the, the Canadian North Shore, as well as the, the Minnesota North Shore, that was where that was the essence of Sean chasing steelhead on those tributaries. And I'm lucky; I have the memory. I did that with him twice. I went up uh, into Canada with him once for just a day trip. Where we, I can't believe how far north we went, and then we came back the same day. And then uh, another time, we stayed up there for a couple nights uh, chasing steelhead and cohos in the Nipigon River. Uh, a Chinook salmon, rather, it wasn't cohos. Yeah. Uh, I, the uh, the most memorable memorable part of that was border crossings with Sean. Uh, you can probably imagine how that went. Sean didn't didn't necessarily like authority <laughs> all that much. Yeah, he was a little crusty at times. <laughs> yeah, and uh, man, oh man, there was some. We were coming back one night. It was like 10 p.m. and and I was driving all the way back to the cities afterwards. And Sean starts jawing back and forth with the border guy. I'm like, Sean, please, do we have to do this tonight? I still have another five-hour drive. <laughs> but he did, and we got the whole car torn apart and did that whole thing, and then we went on our way. But uh, Sean, he had his beliefs, and by golly, he stuck with them. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
dedicated funding, I really want to call this out. The first time, and I mentioned this in my column, the first time I heard about dedicated funding was in a meeting with Sean and Ed Bogus, and we were talking about all the states that had a problem with with funding, including Minnesota, and we said, you know, where where which state doesn't have this problem? And he brought up Missouri. And to me, that's where the Missouri plan first developed in my mind. And Sean, we sent Sean down there, and he wrote a series of stories uh, about the, you know Missouri's, the Department of Conservation, their funding mechanism. And, hey, a whole lot of other people got involved, and Sean and Outdoor News were just a small part of it, the arts, uh, whatever else have you. That's what got it across the finish line in 08. But for me, it all it kind of started with, with some of that writing Sean did about dedicated funding. I think that was, that was really a, a flashpoint, you might say. Yeah, he, uh, well, a couple things, you're right, I mean, he he was digging up, turning over the rocks and, and, and looking at, at Missouri, and that certainly gave some inspiration, and it was kind of a, a lot of things seemed to happen at the same time. There was some interest from various parties on um, getting something going here in Minnesota, um, uh, it came off the back of the right to hunt and fish a few years earlier, and um, but Sean was was instrumental in getting the message out, t- telling the story of what happened in Missouri, and um, it, it really let you know gave a lot of inspiration and hope to a lot of folks. On, you know, well maybe we can do it here. So and, and Sean was very involved. I mean, he did that in a lot of ways. I um, he like you you might use the word unapologetic, but he, <laughs> and I just said crusty. But he had both of those, but they were good in a good way. Yeah. I mean he. Yeah. He would he would ask hard questions and he would share his thoughts and kind of challenge you. Well, where am I wrong and and what is what? How should this be? And that was one of the things I liked about him. I mean, we could have some. I can't say we always agreed on things, but you know, I'd say most of the time we we're pretty much on the same page. But he, you know, he he would probe and he'd ask hard questions and why and why and mm-hmm. why you know trying to get to the real bottom of of the issue. Yeah, and then the next time you talked to him, he'd take the opposite tack <laughs> of the same conversation. It was just just to challenge it because he was a contrarian so often, and that was that was a very valuable trait uh, with Mister Parrish. Uh, we're both going to miss him. Uh, I wish we had more time, I guess, to, to reminisce about him. Yeah. He, you know, another thing, he was a big mentor to a lot of people. I'm oh, hearing yeah. I'm hearing that yeah. word a lot in in particular. Uh, with his publication, Northern Wilds, a lot of young writers, uh, he, he mentored a lot of those folks out there. He mentored me in some ways, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. I'll, I'll always cherish those memories. Any closing thoughts before we let you let you go, Joe? No, I I guess uh, I'll miss him, I, and I'm sure a lot of people will. And, and I, I, the only thing, I, I, this is a little bit of self-reflection, is, is when you have these opportunities, I, I did with Sean a couple times. I was able to take advantage of it uh, once or twice, but... Uh, um, those times come and go, and if there's something you should you want to do, um, folks should do it. Yeah, yeah. If there's somebody out there that means a lot to you, uh, don't miss those opportunities. Yes. Good advice. Yep. Joe, thanks for calling in and spending a few minutes with me uh, reminiscing about our friend Sean Parrish. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Take care. Bye. Joe Dugan, longtime conservation guru from Pheasants Forever, helping me remember my old friend, Mr. Uh, Sean Parrish, who we lost Earlier this month, funeral is uh, the memorial services next Saturday up in Duluth. I'm uh, definitely going to try to get up there and uh, be with the fellow people who uh, who knew and loved Sean Parrish, a son of the North Shore. Let's uh, get in a break. We're going to check in with Ron Husvet when we return. This is WCCO Outdoors.
Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors, 522 p.m. on this August 13th, 2023. I am Rob Dreesline. We are here until 6 o'clock. I want to check in now with my old friend Ron Husvet out at Game Fair. I just wrapped up the first weekend of the 2023 show, kind of the unofficial official kickoff to fall hunting seasons. And uh, Ron, how are you doing, my friend? How go out there? I'm doing great, Rob. It's a, it was a great first weekend of the game fair. Yeah, I was out there Friday. The weather was absolutely gorgeous on Friday. I mean, anybody who didn't get out there on Friday, I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, we did have a little rain here the rest of the, the weekend. Did that uh, affect crowds, or did people appreciate the uh, the cover, the, the cloud cover? Maybe a little cooler out there, especially today. Yeah, there was a little bit of rain at the end of the day Friday. And then uh, we just got a little bit of rain at the end of the day today, and otherwise that was it. And I think, like today... People took advantage of the the, of the clouds because it was a little cooler. Mm-hmm. But yesterday was just a phenomenal day. Uh, we had huge crowds out here yesterday. And today, too, but yesterday was one of those top days, I think, overall that I've ever seen out here. Oh, well, that's handsome because you've, uh, you've been working out at a game fair for how long? 20 years? Been that been that long, Ron? Uh, I think 18, 19, <laughs> something okay. like that. 18 or 19 years. I can't remember exactly, but it's it's been a while. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we got another big weekend kicking off uh, this Friday, so second weekend, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Chuck Delaney, of course, uh, he always likes to have it go two weekends in case one of them gets rained out. Uh, had a pretty good weekend this weekend, so we're in, probably in good shape for uh, for seven days from now, or five days from now, huh? Yeah, we had three great days this first weekend, and the second weekend, you know, who knows what the forecast says, but we'll be here rain or shine between 9 and 5 every day. Friday, Saturday, what's the... Uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Yep, yep. A lot of great seminars. Uh, the, were the seminars all full? The one, the couple that I walked by, I brought my daughter out uh, on Friday. She had just a great time. She loves going out there every year. Uh, she uh, she likes to see the puppies. She she loves to pick up the puppies and, and talk to the, the kennel owners and that sort of thing. But uh, And then we always stop by and watch the dogs jumping off the dock. That's always oh, yeah. a riot. Uh, any uh, were there any new records broken or, or any uh, any seminars worth uh, reminding folks about? Yeah, well, I, I do the dog event finals every day, and we've had some really quality jumps, and so I'm excited for our game fair uh, dog event finals next Sunday. And if you if you've got a dog, they don't have to be a, a high caliber dog to do any of our events. They could be just learning still. It's a great chance to sort of run your dog in an event in a different setting than maybe you've been doing some training with, with plenty of distractions and other smells. So it's really, it's a good way to test your dog to get ready for um, you head out in the field. As far as the seminars go, we had, you know, tons of great seminars. One that was really popular was a women's shooting clinic. And this is, this is a great opportunity. Um, Nora Ross was one of the best, you know, trap shooters in the world. She's a hall of famer. She does clinics all over the country, but she's here doing them for free. And Laura Scher is there as well. And they've got, it's everything is free. So you get to use really nice, high-quality siren shotguns, which are especially made for women, and all the federal ammunition that you can shoot. They've had um, about uh, 20, about an average of 20 women out there each of the three days this first weekend. And uh, it's been a great reception. If you go on Game for social media, you can see some videos and pictures of what that looked like. So I encourage uh, women to check that out and, and see. I'm going to have my daughter out there doing it next weekend. She's Good. been 
Good a deal. little timid to want to try a shotgun, and uh, I'm excited to have her learn from one of the best in the business. And uh, I want to point out, any dog is welcome, right? Uh, that That's one of the best all parts breed. about Game Fair. You, 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 you see all sorts of dogs, all shapes and sizes, don't you? Yeah, and we got this really cool new thing called the Dog Lover's Lure Course. And uh, dogs get to run through a, uh, a track, and there's a professional photographer there snapping action photos of them. And this Dog Lover's Lure Course has been really cool to see in action. Uh, it's, got, it's been very popular. A lot of people who did it have really loved it. So would love to see more people try that out. And that is, you know, some of the uh, some of the dock jumping and the retrieving stuff is definitely meant for some specific breeds, but all dogs love to chase stuff. And uh, this event really gets to that. Well, one huge weekend is under the belt. Uh, Game Fair returns next weekend, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 18th, 19th, and 20th at the Armstrong Ranch out on Armstrong Ranch Boulevard in Ramsey. Uh, I will get, I'm will. i looking forward to getting back out there again, uh, Ron. And what do you say? It, it, what's the general vibe, I guess, about hunting? Uh, you know, you get, you know, you getting any vibe about, you know, the forecast for waterfall hunting season or deer hunting? I, obviously, it's more of an upland bird and duck hunting uh, uh, crowd out there. But any, any vibe you're getting from folks when you talk to them? Well, you know, it's everybody's kind of got the real positive attitude. When you talk to people about the seasons coming up, everybody's excited just to get out there. So it's kind of like the the week before the holidays. Everybody's just excited to sure. to do everything and anxious to get their gear. Um, but the, I, I've heard nothing but a positive outlook from folks for everything. Uh, so I don't, you know, that's it's been a it was a great weekend. So um, drill down and ask some more folks what they say. But the it's been a positive vibe so far. We got, you know, waterfall hunting just a few weeks out. The early teal yep. season was September 2nd. I presume the early goose is probably the exact same day. Please don't quote me on that, folks. Check the regs. But uh, that, that's got to be right in there. So, uh, yeah, uh, fall hunting is about uh, about to erupt. Hey, before I let you go, uh, I don't know if you heard the previous segment. I talked to Joe Dugan a little bit about uh, Sean Parrish. We lost Sean Parrish uh, August yeah. 3rd. Did you, you knew Sean a little bit, didn't you? Oh yeah, I, I wrote. I did some pieces for his Northern Wilds mm-hmm. newspaper up there, and uh, when we'd go to Grand Marais a couple times over the years, I he and I would have coffee and shoot the breeze, sure. talk about what was going on up on the, the Gunflint and the Arrowhead, get a couple of lake trout tips from him, and <laughs> just talk about journey you know, on the journalism business. So Sean was a was a great guy, and he was always uh, willing to lend a hand. He's among my short list of, of mentors. That, that you were obviously at the top of, but Sean was well, definitely up there too. Yeah, and well, that, th- thank you for saying that about about both of us. Yeah, uh, taken before his time, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to be for sure. You know, we already spent some time talking about Sean, but I knew you uh, knew him well too, and we should uh, we should mention it. Well, Ron, one last time, second weekend of Game Fair next Friday, the eighteenth. It kicks off, uh, runs Friday, yep. Saturday, Sunday. Looking like uh, it should be another great. Vent and you know Chuck Delaney, man, he just keeps going, doesn't he? Ninety years old and still running a great, uh, yeah. great show out there. Chuck is kicking, kicking butt and kicking tail and running a great event. And I encourage folks to go to GameFair dot com. Uh, they can get a discount coupon on there, and there's all sorts of information. And also, you know, grab your outdoor news for the full schedule of this week's edition. Had that whole program in there, so check it out. Yep, sus. next week also we will insert the Game Fair program in all those editions out at the show, so pick one up and uh, check out what we got cooking. Ron, thanks for joining me for a segment. Thanks for all you do out there, and, and uh, 
you're also an educator, of course, and, and an outdoors writer. So thanks for all you're doing for uh, for the great state of Minnesota. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. Ron Husvet sharing some details about Game Fair 2023 out at the Armstrong Ranch in in Ramsey Anoka, uh, GameFair.com. Let's break. We're going to be back, talk a little bit about St. Croix fishing regulations. When we return, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Everybody, welcome back. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. We are here until 6 o'clock. Uh, the past uh, couple segments, we were talking about a friend of mine who uh, we lost, an outdoors writer, Sean Parrish. We also talked game fair. Uh, we're going to get serious now, a little more serious topic here, uh, and talk about some fishing regulations, something brewing on the St. Croix. Uh, and Joel Styrus, Metro Rivers Metro River Specialist for the DNR, Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Fish and Wildlife Division, joins us now. Joel, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Uh, so the DNR issued a uh, press release here. Uh, I don't know, a week to ten days ago, and Outdoor News has reported that this, that kind of, that this was coming for a while. But uh, now we're we're really getting into the the process here, and it's I, I think it's fascinating. We're looking at the Saint Croix River, kind of uh, mixing up some regulations there, some fishing regulations. Joel, can you kind of spell out the status quo? What what kind of regulations do we have on the Saint Croix now? It's a border water, so it's a little different than how we we run regulations on on other water bodies, you know, inland waters here in Minnesota, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of the regulations that are in place on the St. Croix have, they've been in place, you know, largely unchanged since the 40s and 50s. Um, you know, and they went through the same thing with the border water Mississippi River regulations uh, a few years back where, you know, they, they did a bunch of surveys um, and were asking about attitudes and preferences. And, you know, the same thing with the Mississippi, they were largely unchanged for many decades. Um, so, after these surveys and, and getting the feedback, you know, they, they changed a bunch of regulations on the Mississippi in, in 2020. Uh, and this effort here from the St. Croix, you know, we weren't included in that package. So, you know, we're, most of this effort is, is geared to basically match the Mississippi River border waters. Um, so you have consistent regulations for connected waters. Um, you know, you, you can uh, launch a boat in pool three of the Mississippi and then, you know, all you have to do is go about a quarter of a mile upstream. You know, if you launch from Prescott and go a quarter of a mile upstream, and now you're in the St. Croix, and now you're you're in different regulations for mm-hmm. uh, you know what you what you can keep. So you know, different seasons, different different limits. So we're trying to simplify that. And that, that I think everyone agrees that's probably a good idea. So for years, the Mississippi downriver from that confluence has been continuous, which means you could. You can fish year round for for walleyes. That's why you know I'm I'm an old river rat from the Winona area, and you know it was always kind of I always kind of confused me when people talk about opener because it's like I, I'm a river guy. We've been we've been fishing walleyes as soon as the ice went out, right? Uh, this would do kind of the same thing on the Croy. Would it would it make it mostly continuous? Yes, it would. Um, so the the proposal is you know in not only will be adjusting some of the uh, daily possession limits for you know, several fish species, uh, we'll be looking at making a continuous season for uh, walleye and sauger, uh, largemouth bass and smallmouth bass, uh, northern pike. Um, so we would have the same continuous season that, that they have on the Mississippi River border waters. 
And how would that sync with the Wisconsin regulations? Would Wisconsin would would people with a Wisconsin license have different bag limits than folks with a Minnesota license? Or are we trying to kind of make that a little more, like I say, sync that up a little bit more too? Well, it's a little complicated mm-hmm. at the moment. So Wisconsin <laughs> went through their process, and um, you know their their regulation change process is a two year process. Um, so they went through and did their surveys with their conservation congress. Um, they had um, votes on uh, what the regulations were going to be. Um, they had overwhelming approval for the majority of the regulation proposals. Um, the one that they didn't have overwhelming approval for was the continuous seasons. Um, they had about 55% approval on the continuous seasons. Um, so Wisconsin decided to not proceed with continuous seasons at this time. Um, right now, you know, we're, we're in our, our comment period where we're, you know, we have a survey out. Um, so they can, you know, anglers can go online, um, they can call me, they can email me uh, to provide feedback on the regulation proposals. And, you know, we're, we're gathering data to find out the attitudes um, to see what, you know, our anglers want. And then, you know, we're going to go from there in terms of what the, the regulations are going to be. So, you know, if, if the regulations turned out to be different, the way the regulations work on the, on the border waters is, you know, we have reciprocity with, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, where, you know, if you're a Minnesota resident and you have a Minnesota license, you can fish on the Wisconsin side, but you're bound by uh, the territorial waters. So, you know, if you're a Minnesota angler and you fish on the Minnesota side of the St. Croix, you can only use two rods. If you go on the Wisconsin side of the river, you can use three rods. Okay. <laughs> um, so th- there, there are some differences that currently exist between the two states, and, it, and it's you know bound by territorial waters. Sure. So if there are are differences, it depends on what side of the river you're on. Right. Right. Well, uh, wait, baby steps. Right. <laughs> Just trying to try to uh, right. make this a little less confusing, one step at a time. Uh, hey, there was one uh, clause in here, or a caveat, a couple sentences that I found interesting. It said. Uh, so you, you want to make uh, the proposed rules uh, for a variety of species continuous. It says, additionally, in the river from the Taylor Falls Dam to the U.S. Highway 8 bridge, fishing would be closed March 2nd through June 15th to protect spawning fish that are present in higher numbers below the dam. Uh, you know, I'm all for that. Is is that area closed now, Joel? Uh, there's a very short section that's closed to fishing. Um, it's the way it's worded, it, it's something like uh, you know 100 feet downstream from okay. the pier in the center of the river. So it's a very short stretch that's closed year-round, uh, immediately below the dam. And what we're proposing is to to have a, a seasonal spawning closure from the dam down to uh, the Highway 8 bridge, uh, because you know there's a lot of fish that run up to that dam sure. and stack up below the dam in the spring to spawn. You know and, and you know, you, you could go up there fishing and say, well, I'm fishing for catfish, and you could be slaying sturgeon all day long. <laughs> and, you know, the sturgeon are running up there to spawn. So, you okay. know, we, we want those fish to go up there and spawn unmolested. Um, so, how, so, so, Joel, how long a stretch of river is this that potentially could be closed? Uh, that stretch of river is, uh, let's see, I had some notes. Was it three-quarters of a mile? Okay, okay. I was, I, was, I, was, I was on the atlas. I was trying to figure out how long of a stretch here. So potentially about three-quarters of a mile that, that would be closed from March 2nd through June 15th. That's a good chunk of calendar. 
I mean, you know, that's that's uh, June 15th. That's getting pretty late. Is there a specific species we're looking to try to protect by going that late? Is that a sturgeon thing, Joel? Well, I mean, it's a sturgeon thing. It's a walleye thing. Okay. Uh, it's for a lot of different things. And the reason that, that we end up falling on June 15th is because the, the sturgeon opener for catch and release season starts on June 16th. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so, so part of that is, is simplification of, you know, not having too many different dates in there. Um, so, sure. you know, once once that closure ends, you know, the very next day the catch release uh, season opens for sturgeon. So, you know, it's it's fair game that you can target sturgeon now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have so much variation in terms of when spawning may be, depending on ice out and water levels. You know, it's it's a little bit bigger of a range than we probably need. You know, you could probably say, okay, June first maybe, but if you have a late spring. Uh, those two weeks might might provide a little bit extra protection. Yeah, and if it makes the if it simplifies the regs a little bit with the June sixteenth date that you mentioned, uh, that certainly makes sense. You know, I think a lot of people listening might not even realize we got a, a growing sturgeon population on the Saint Croix. Correct? Yeah, the, the sturgeon in the Saint Croix are doing really well. Um, you know, it's it's a population that's you know a, a remnant population it's you know you look at some of the places around the state where lakesters were actually wiped out of the system and, and they had to restock them to establish population uh, the St. Croix has never been restocked um, so these are all native fish that have been here but the, the fishery has been growing where the fish have been getting bigger and bigger uh, and it's getting to be a really popular fishery and you know we had a when we expanded the catch and release regulations uh, a handful of years back, uh, I think about 2015, we expanded the catch and release regulations. Um, what's what's happened is we've really developed a a pretty big ice fishing uh, contingent on the Saint Croix where people are are targeting sturgeon through the ice. Um, so that's you know if you want to go catch a big fish through the ice, that's that's something pretty cool you can take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Jerislein. We are chatting with Joel Steeris. He's the Metro River Specialist for the Fish and Wildlife Division of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Talking about the agency's plans to possibly implement some more consistent regulations on the St. Croix River, consistent, that is, with the Mississippi River farther downstream. Uh, Joel, if the and, I, and I'm going to talk. I want to ask you about the public review process here, how folks can comment. But if this happens, if it passes, if, if the public gets on board, when would this go into effect? Uh, if everything goes with positive feedback and uh, all the stars align, we're looking at uh, this would go into effect in uh, spring 2024. And, okay. Uh, let's see. So it'll be March 1st when the new the new regulations start for the next year. Okay. Yeah, well, that's fast. That's uh, and that's good. And I, I, you know, I think everybody likes it when when government is able to implement you know change like this quickly and not you know talk about it for for years and years. Okay, so let's talk about this public review process. It sounds like uh, there's a couple of things going on. One, there's a public in person meeting on uh, what August 31st in Stillwater. Yes. Yep. So um, I'll be there August 31st. Um, anglers can come and and. Um, you know, voice her opinion. Um, we have an online survey that, that people can go and fill out that basically just ask attitudes if they uh, strongly support, strongly oppose, if they're neutral on, on whatever regulation it may be. Um, we also have a couple questions in that online survey that 
you know, aren't necessarily geared towards something that we're looking to implement right now, but we're just kind of doing a fact-finding mission and gathering information for something we may be thinking about in the future. So, you know, um, there's a couple questions in there about uh, the lake sturgeon seasons um, and uh, the muscleone seasons. So that public meeting, August 31st, Stillwater Public Library, 5 to 7.30 p.m., Thursday, August 31st. Uh, it looks like, like you mentioned, there's also this Engage with DNR webpage, which is a great webpage, a lot of good surveys going on there, engage.dnr.state.mn.us. I think if you just scroll through there, you can find the uh, the St. Croix Fisheries Regulations uh, button that you, you press, and you can, you can follow through on that. It looks like people can also... Uh, Call you directly, Joel. Is it, are you okay with us uh, offering that phone number? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, they, they can call me directly. Um, you know, I, I have my office office number that was that was put on that press release, and then my email was put on that press release. Um, so, you know, it, I've I've only gotten a couple of calls so far. I I got uh, actually had my first uh, voicemail about it yesterday, and I, I'm looking forward to calling him back um, just to, to talk to him and clarify and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I got a spreadsheet of information I'll be keeping down for all the, the personal contacts I get. But other than that, you know, I've, I've got the, the survey, and then we have our, our public meeting. So, so if anybody, I, we won't, I won't give it all out now. People can't, don't have time to write it down. But go to mndnr.gov, click news releases, and you'll see the Minnesota DNR invites public input on changes to St. Croix River fishing regs. Click that release. You'll see Joel's phone number, his email, even his mailing address if you want to write him a letter. Uh, you'll also see all this uh, documented in the print editions of Outdoor News, so lots of ways that you can you can track down Joel. Uh, so you haven't had a lot of feedback on this yet. What uh, If you were a betting man, you think uh, the public's going to get behind this? Uh, I, I think so. Um, so, I, I, you know, talking to anglers when I see them, um, you know, at, at boat ramps, you know, most of the feedback I usually get is, you know, people have been pushing to reduce the bag limits for uh, walleye. Yeah. Um, you know, so the proposal is to, to reduce it from six to four for a combined bag limit for walleye and sauger. Um, you know, there's some other nuances to it. You know, the, there's a, a proposal to um, that that would allow only one walleye or sauger over 20 inches for those four fish. Um, then the 15-inch minimum length limit would stay for walleye. You know, and, and a lot of the feedback I get when I talk to people in person is they they wanted to see the creel limits come down for some of these um, species. Um, you know, and, and that was the same feedback they got from the Mississippi River. Okay. So I'm expecting positive feedback. I'm not really sure what I'm going to get for, like, the continuous season. Um, we do have a question in the survey asking about, you know, if, if you approve or disapprove of a continuous season. Um, and also uh, we ask about a, a catch and release. So All right. if, if you're in favor of, of a catch and release instead of a continuous harvest season, you know you can you can make your thoughts known on that. Lots of options. So, All right. Joel, I appreciate all the time. I, I do need to get to break, but uh, a great process unfolding here uh, on the ground, on the water changes that uh, folks can make their uh, their opinions known if they want to see uh, maybe a little more consistent regulations on the St. Croix. Joel, thanks for calling in, and have a great week ahead. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Joel Steeris from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Let's break. Little uh, one final segment of this week's broadcast. Hey everybody, final segment of this week's broadcast of WCCO Outdoors News Talk 830. I'm Rob Jerisline. Thank you, everybody, joining us for the past one hour. Had some great guests, some good reminiscing, uh, and then got into a little uh, public policy there at the end, talking about the St. Croix River. 
Next week, you know, I think I might have to devote a segment to this. I, we talked a little bit earlier, the teal, this early teal season, it's an experimental teal season here that we've had for two years. The third year will officially kick off on September 2nd, year three of this experimental season. And we had some data in Outdoor News last week showing that teal, blueing teal down 22% from 23. This, these are Minnesota numbers, not continentally. 26%. In the past ten year, over the ten year average, and forty percent off the long term average, and I'm, I've got to wonder if that's going to play a role in whether or not we continue this early teal season when you're showing numbers down that much. I, it's a little bit concerning to me. I'm a, I'm a duck hunting guy. If I could do be doing any one, people should know this about me. If I could be doing any one thing out of doors, having a good time doing anything out of doors, it would be a good day of duck hunting. And so I, I'm looking forward to spend a lot of time here in the next several weeks talking about uh, the forecast for waterfall hunting and what, uh, you know, some of these uh, seasons that we're doing, what they mean for uh, our waterfall, because I'm a, I'm a waterfall conservation advocate. Again, thank you to uh, Joe Dugan, Ron Husvet, and Joel Steeris who joined us. Thank you to all the listeners, producer Jonathan Lowe and everybody else who makes this show happen. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Driesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.